Hello, Pan-Africanists, and thank you so much for finding the time to listen to this podcast. If it is your first time here, you are very much welcome and we are happy to have you. You can find the Pan-African Review podcast on many podcast distribution platforms, Google, Spotify, Apple, and so many others. In this episode, we'll be having a chat with Dr. Chika Izanya Istiobu and talk through her article titled From Mother Tongue to Teacher Tongue, Language Diversity in Africa's Changing Nurturing Environment. Well, that and so much more. This conversation is divided into two parts and this is the first. Thank you so much, Dr. Chika Istiobu. And I would like to say thank you so much for all the beautiful articles that you have been writing with the Pan-African Review. How are you doing? Doing very well, Cynthia. Thank you for, you know, for your compliments. It's my pleasure. We're just going to uh, go through your article. It's titled From Mother Tongue to Teacher Tongue, Language Diversity in Africa's Changing Nurturing Environment. So you say that traditionally, Mothers were the ones spending more time with their children, at least when they are at the developing age between zero and three. It's as if you want to say that things or the landscape or the context in Africa has changed. How was it before? Thank you for the question, first of all, Cynthia. In African traditional society, as in many traditional societies across the world, women would spend more time at the nurturing stages. And when I say nurture, I mean at that time, the the baby is still breastfeeding. You know, it stays closer to the mom at that time. Um, But we know that these days, babies no longer, many moms will rather not breastfeed until three years right? But back in the days, it used to be that babies would breastfeed until three, even four, I even, you know, I've had some say five years old, depending on the, on the, on the society. And of course, we know that the verdict is out uh, when it comes to the lifelong effects of breastfeeding until old age. And we know that beyond the nutritional effect, the, the, the social emotional effect lasts throughout the lifetime of a, a human being. A human being breastfed for as long um, usually is, has been proven scientifically you know, by psychologists to be much more uh, emotionally intelligent, much more able to connect with you know, life, with living, much more happier than those who did not have the opportunity to be breastfed uh, for that long and, of course, consistently. So um, for so many reasons, this is no longer obtainable. We have a lot of moms working, going back to their jobs as early as sometimes six weeks after having kids. And you can leave for work at 8 a.m. in the morning and return at 6 p.m. and expect that um, your... the, the, the breast flow, the milk will still flow as it, you know, it, it should be when it's being consistently given. And of course, it's tiring to keep expressing. We're talking moms here, so I'm going to be as real. <laughs> if anyone is not comfortable with this conversation, of course, the person is free not to listen, but uh, there actually is nothing. Um, again, it's the whole sexualization of femininity the fact that what should be seen as real life and nurturing has been sex- so sexualized by the Western world that even we in Africa 
seem to have bought, not seem, we have bought into that. I mean, I, I grew up seeing women breastfeeding in public spaces without even anyone looking at them a second time. It's, yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, if anyone would look at them, it would be like, how may I help? Do you need me to hold the baby for you to pull down your shirt or do you need some water? But today it's, it's, it's seen as... <laughs> just think of anything negative yeah you know, and that is what it has been labeled as being um you know anything but what it should be which is really sad right um so that's the whole idea that there's so much changing do we have control over what is changing well it seems as if it's moving at such a fast pace that we don't have any control but those who have the platform to speak and do know that these things are harmful to the next generation, to society, should make it a point of duty to speak out. And that's what I tried to do with that article. I feel, I, I understand the next generation will suffer for it when more children are depressed, when more children are unable to uh, find emotional satisfaction in life and fulfillment because they did not have that privilege of being held close to the chest of their moms for as long as they should be held before yeah. being given to a nanny sent out to a daycare mm -hmm. because the mom has to earn some money because capitalism, ultra capitalism requires that she um, needs to live in, the, in this kind of house and has to dress a certain way and be counted among society. And because our, um, certain governments in Africa in a bid to develop quote unquote, and I use that word loosely. Okay, let's drop that word and use advancement. In the drive for advancement, we have uh, a lot of African government think that it is by cutting down the time women spend at home, nurturing and having them back to work as soon as possible after having babies, that that's the way society will grow. And yeah. that is so not the way the Western world that Africans are trying to copy grew. That article is just all about us um, as Africans stepping back to, to, to think beyond some of the things that seem to be wise or wisdom, but we really are shortchanging ourselves, shortchanging the next generation who we are depending on to carry on whatever it is we are building today. It's true that they used to breastfeed for a very, very long time, and this, there is a, a, another problem. So what is it that we used to do before that should come back? Because people will tell you, actually, in Africa, women have always worked. They have always been active. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were leaving the kids alone to, you know. Even Western feminism gets it wrong when it yeah, advocates okay. for women to just drop their kids and go out there and work and have the men take care of their kids at a certain point in time in the growth of the, of the children. That is what most Western feminists will say. But even in, okay, I was teaching a class on theory. I was teaching an undergraduate class on theory just yesterday. And I, I, I let them know that what we say theories, when we say theorizing, there's nothing like theorizing in social sciences. And that's exactly what some scholars will agree with me. So when we say feminist theory, it is even false by itself. There is not one feminist theory. There's not one feminism. Because if there was one feminism, the women I met in Germany who let me know that they would never ever step out to work except their kids are of age, would not classify as feminists. Mm. Right. Because the feminism that we see being shouted at the rooftop is all about, oh, 
uh, walk away from it or go get, go work um, if the man can do it. You know, just that kind of mindset. And so again, I will never even at all, you know, promote what we say West, Western feminism to be. It was just me trying to say that it's a false Mm. It's a false city. It doesn't exist. There is nothing like that Western feminism that most some African ladies are, 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 are you know, um, trying to buy into in the name of being enlightened or civilized, so to say. So back to your question, it was all about community um, yeah. back in the day, right? So it was all about community. Of course, the whole of uh, the whole di- dichotomy between a working woman and a non-working woman was oh. imported to the continent. Women worked in traditional African societies. Okay, my mom worked, my grandmom worked, my great-grandmom, bless her, she was one of the most hardworking farmers, traders, you know, food processor, just name it, women I've ever, you know, I can remember, I met her for many years, I think I was 18 when she passed. And it's, it, 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 uh, it's, it's just not so, it's not traditional that a woman in Africa don't work, women work, but it was all about community. And what we know today is the breakdown of community in Africa. Mm-hmm. And that breakdown has, um, it, you know, it's the, the, the challenge is deep and it will take a policy can help, but it takes this awareness that we are creating to get the everyday person to say, okay, I need to step back. What do I need to put in place? What community do I need to build that? I turned my back on in my search for um, my next promotion, in my search for my next degree, uh, because we, we have, it's almost as if in many parts of the continent, we're beginning to see community to be anti-progress, whereby, oh, I just want to you know, get my degree, get my job, and just be on top of everyone go out there on social media, post about how I'm the first to get this, to achieve this, first to achieve that, now earning this amount of money, now this, now that. And we forget that it's not about those things. It's about, it's about community. It's about people. Yeah. Okay, who, are, who, who, are, who are my people? Who, who are my, who, or rather, who is my tribe here? Mm. Okay. Who, and when I say tribe, I don't mean ethnic divisions. I just mean the people that you can call my own people. So back in the day, of course, it was defined family, extended family. People would just rally around the woman who just put to bed. And it was our, it was our child. You know how it said it takes a village. To raise a child, it was our it was our baby, not that woman's baby. And the woman will be able to take the baby to the farm, have someone take care of the baby while she's farming, you know. And things worked smoothly. We can reintroduce that in many right. ways when we begin to see that a woman with a child should not be left out of the workplace. Then that means more organizations will begin to factor in, you know, childcare and flexible work hours for women. Right, and also bring in non-technical staff, older women who are grandmothers who uh, don't have much to do. Their grandkids are grown; they can be brought hired by hired by employers just to be there in that organization to take care of that woman who is breastfeeding a child. So when she's not, you know, in between nursing, so let's use nursing <laughs> in between nursing. Uh, the, the, the mama can carry the baby and play with the baby and it gives her so much joy to do that. It's not yeah. pretty much about how much she's being paid for the most part. She's just happy to have that world, have the kids around at that time. Yeah. And 
And the woman can even be the, the employee's mom or the employee's auntie, right? I, I love that. I, I really connect that to a personal level because um, I got uh, to change my job when my daughter was just three months and it was a new city, new country. And I remember having to face the traffic jam and at the same time wondering if really this is what I wanted to do. And in the end, I think I sacrificed her breastfeeding time because I couldn't go past seven months doing all, you know, all, all that. So I think... It feels good that somebody has been able to put out the problem exactly the way it is. Cynthia, it's not just you. I remember um, I have a relative who had to go to work at the time her baby was three months. And that morning um, she woke up, she was crying and bathing the baby. The first day she was going to go back to work. I was so young then, I didn't understand. She was crying and bathing the baby. And I went to her, I said, why are you crying? She said, I don't feel good leaving this baby, you know. Um, and just going to work and leaving this baby with someone else. Yeah. And I tried to say, oh, no, it's okay. She'll be fine. You know, she's in trusted hands. You know, the lady you're leaving her with and all that. She said, I know, but this does not feel right. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned colonial authorities, um, you know, being or attaching corporal punishment to, for example, learning, you know, the use of mother tongue. And it's so interesting because uh, when I was speaking to another writer for uh, the Pan-African Review as well, that is Levy, he was talking about exactly that, how going to school meant really going through a colonial system that sort of humiliated you for speaking your own mother tongue. And what is it? This looks like uh, it's a widespread problem, really, because I went through the same problem, although, um, you know, I was in a different country. So this seems to be a, a more serious thing. And it looks like every African who has gone through some sort of formal education, as it is now, has gone through that. Absolutely. Most Africans have, have, have encountered that challenge. And one of the things that confuse us as Africans, especially those who don't live in countries like Rwanda, where you are so blessed to have one language. And, you know, in, in many African countries, we, we, that privilege does not exist. Right. So it's like it confuses the you know, the, the citizens of those countries, because it's like, definitely there's nothing we can do about it. Since we have all these languages, we just need to have one language to harmonize, you know, uh, governance, harmonize society. But that is, again, the colonial mindset of either or. So that was part of the lies sold to Africans that actually made uh, many Africans decide to settle for um, that demeaning approach to their own language. It was like, how many people speak your language? A handful of people, a million at most, or, you know, and so we have this language spoken by the whole world, quote unquote, which we know is not true. Uh, why don't, which would you rather choose? The little language spoken by your tiny community without any uh, structure, any system to back it up, any economic, you know, uh, power attached to that language or the language that will get, uh, get you a job outside of your little community without any, you know, much economic advancement, even get you a job outside of your country. And that, uh, that was the, you know, that what we believed. And as a result of that, we, ref we did not get to see past the, the facade yeah. of development or advancement that will come with speaking another language. We looked at that and uh, turned our back on ourselves. Yeah. We turned our back on innovation and creativity. 
spontaneity and the, the whole idea that advancement comes from uh, just living your everyday life by innovation comes by looking at your challenges from a natural environment, from a natural light and being able to um, being able to uh, contribute without having to step out of that reality of your you know, natural environment. And one thing I know from my, um, my time living in Rwanda and from my long interaction with uh, the, the, the country is that the fact that there is one language that is understood by everyone in that country has helped tremendously and, and that is also supported by governance structures um, has helped tremendously in the growth that we see today in Rwanda. Right. So I, I wonder what would have happened if the, the, pro, the, the, the government that we all know today to be, you know, um, forward and has brought about a lot of a lot of advancement came and said no more speaking in Rwanda. Um, no more speaking in Rwanda, even in, you know, no more radio station in Rwanda. No more. Yeah. And just yeah. imagine what would yeah. have been such a struggle. Yeah. And I, I do I do I do know that in even societies where different languages in countries where different languages are spoken there is still that possibility of promoting individual languages and at the same time promoting a national language it's not yeah. either or the either or mindset was introduced to africa by colonialism yeah. and that's a, a mindset we need to work out of back in the day when people wanted to show how educated they were in europe they would say, I can speak four or five languages. I can speak this, speak that. So, and that's what it should be. When children are very young, their minds are able to soak so much knowledge, so many languages. And that's the time to speak as many languages as possible to the children. At that level, um, you know, teachers can teach different languages, introduce children to different languages, be it, you know, colonial languages, which we know they need to advance outside of Africa. That is, we're not discounting that, but we need the mother tongue, the, the language of confidence. That child needs to go home and be able to have a conversation with mom about, or even with grandmom and granddad or great grandmom about what she studied at school that day. Mm. You know, without having to think that it's another world here. Yeah. It's in those conversations that grandma can say, oh, really? But uh, come, let me take you and show you. Oh, did you say you studied this? Okay, come, let me take you and show you uh, a plant that can uh, that can shrink when you try to touch it. And maybe you can ask your science teacher uh, what is behind that. Yeah. That, that, you know, and that's how knowledge grows. Thank you for listening to the Pan-African Review podcast. Follow the Pan-African Review on social media for more updates.